Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. In the Renaissance, about 500 years ago, we started painting an awful lot of Bible stories. So even though this is a very old story, it's critical, um, it's critical for where we're going today. I'll try, do my best to try to interpret culture for you as we go, because this was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. A young man has such disrespect and disdain for his father, he basically says to him, I kind of wish you'd already died so I could have my inheritance. I do not value our relationship. I want to go off into the world and do it my way. If you've read Genesis chapter 3, you've heard this story before. And unbelievably, the father gives him what he wants and gives him his inheritance early. And he goes away from home, and the scripture says, squanders it on wild living, doing things that no God fearing person should do. And his uh, friends, were nowhere to be found once the party was over and he's alone, hungry belly, and stoops to the level of getting a job feeding pigs, a morally, ethically, physically detestable animal inside the Jewish religion. And he's feeding pigs and he reaches what some of us would call rock bottom one day when he's looking down at the pig slop, yearning for it. Could you ever imagine, when your belly is full and things are going well, could you imagine yearning for pig slop? That's the point. When the hunger gets to a certain level, when the isolation gets to a certain level, when the relational brokenness gets to a certain level, even the pig slop looks good. And he came to his senses And he says, even my father's servants are eating better than this. I'll go back to my dad and I'll tell him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy of any good thing. Please just take me on as a hired hand. Just let me be one of the servants. David would say it this way, just hanging out at the outer courts of the Lord for a day, it's better than a thousand days of life anywhere else. Being the lowliest servant for this father, for this good father, better than anything anywhere else. And so he makes the journey home. And his father sees him from a long way off. And the text says something amazing about the father. The father was filled with two things. Bible students, where are you at? What were the two things? One of them is literally printed in a giant letter across the top of your sermon notes. (laughs) Compassion is one of them. What's the other? Love. The father's heart, (coughs) excuse me, 
has the, has the young man made amends yet? Is there any way he can repay the amount of money he squandered? Is there any way he can repay the relational sin of the disrespect and disregard for his father? There are some things that we say we can't take them back. And from a long way off, his father is filled with love and compassion, lifts up his garment and runs to him. I dare say this is why you decide not to become a Christian. I still like the pig slop. I've lived in it my entire life. I don't even know what it means when somebody says there's something better to be offered. We're gonna take a look into what mercy and compassion look like Today is fourth out of five parts of our family road trip. Hold up your hand if you need a Bible. Everyone's gonna need one. And we are going to be in Luke 10. It's gonna be a while, but we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. Make sure everybody's got a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, that one is our gift to you. Go ahead and take it home. Family Road Trip is a series where we are taking a look at our five vision statements that we've adopted and saying, Lord, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit's leadership, where would you take us as a church family? Where would you take us as a church family? Um, Some of you guys have heard the um, analogies before that a shark is only dead, it only stops moving when it's dead. You guys knew that? Any Discovery Channel people? A shark is always moving, okay? Or the same exact analogy, one of the first ways that you can tell a tree is dead, isn't from the color change of the leaves. It's that it stopped growing. If you measure growth and a tree stops growing, that's one of the very first signs that it has died. So what this means for an organism or for a group of people is that we have to always embrace certain types of growth. The question is what type, right? Should we start a donut ministry so that we all do physical growth? Is that the kind of growth that we want? Probably not. I think what we do, because since we're Christians, is we open up the book, right? Lord, how would you have us to grow? What does miracle grow look like in the Christian life, not just as individuals, but as a family? And we've talked about a few things today. The fourth is we see God leading us to become the hub of compassion in Citrus Heights. Not a hub, the I didn't put this in the notes, but this has just been kind of hovering in my heart these last few days as I've been pondering the definite article, the. What would happen? Carefully, wisely, but courageously, we start outwardly focused ministries in the name of compassion, maybe a little bit recklessly, until we got into a friendly competition with other Citrus Heights churches that we love people more than you do even. No, we love people even more than you do. Oh yeah, wouldn't it be precious? Wouldn't it be precious if every Christian church in our city was working hard to convince this city how much they are loved by God? I think that would be great. So, When we adopted the, 
We did something like businesses do. When businesses adopt their vision statement, they're like, to be the most excellent paper salesman in the world, we are Dunder Mifflin. This is gonna be amazing. Nobody's vision statement ever says, we're number two. No one ever says that, right? You shoot for the very, very best and see what the Lord will allow you to do. Brothers and sisters, could it be really powerful if we ended up becoming the third most compassionate church in our city? Could that be really amazing? Is the third best NFL team the one that loses the NFC championship? Are they still a really good football team? Say yes. Okay? You shoot for number one. That's what you do. Okay? The hub of compassion in Citrus Heights. All right. Group discussion time. I want you to talk amongst yourselves and come up with the worst vision statement ever. I bet you can do it. This is a way of asking why the hub of compassion? Why not the center of raw justice? How come we're not, we don't want to have the point of condemnation? Everybody here be condemned. Place of awkward silences. Us four, no more. Jesus loves you, but he loves us a bit more. Go ahead, talk with your group. I want you, I really intended to have a candy bar ready to go. We're going to give away imaginary points that don't matter to whoever can come up with the worst vision statement. I'm gonna give you about 90 seconds to talk with those around you, go. All right, anybody want to share theirs with the room? I'm going to repeat your answer so everyone at home gets to hear. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. ARCF, it doesn't matter. (laughs) All right, uh, other worst vision statements. We have no idea what we're doing. doing. I would go for that if I had to. We have no idea what we're doing, but Jesus knows. (laughs) I'd be fine with that. Yeah, what, what's another terrible vision statement? Okay is okay. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? Any others? All right, now that we've joked about a little bit of deconstruction, let's ask the question, why the hub of compassion? 
why did this come out of the elders' hearts, be confirmed to put before you guys a year and a half ago for prayer and consideration? Why did you give a hearty amen to it? Why the hub of compassion? Why not something else? Amen. I love it when you guys preach my points ahead of me because we're gonna get to lunch faster. It's just that simple. It is just that simple. So, and I'm not joking. That's literally the first point. You're awesome. Because God is compassionate. Note takers, grab your pens. Fill in these blanks. Every time you fill in a blank, an angel gets his wings. So grab your pen. If your, if your child has not seen that movie, come on now. Um, it's a miserable life. You guys never seen that one? Anyway, watch the movie. You'll understand they named it wrong. It is a miserable life. So, those of you who already love Jesus, let me ask you, so the guests know, does God's character matter to us? Who he already is? Trivia question. If God is eternal, he was never created He has always been, right? He's the unchanging one. And he creates the universe, all of it. If there is such a thing as ethics, where do ethics come from? Right? Ethics only get confusing if there's no deity. If there's no one and nothing over us, we have to go, are ethics socially contrived? There are 12 of us on an island and nine of us say that it's wrong to chop down coconut trees. If there's no one above those 12 people, the majority gets to rule. Or whoever has the biggest stick might makes right. If there is a God, we know exactly who has the right to say what is right and wrong. And we've got to decide if this God is loving or not. I keep telling you guys this on ad nauseum. If this God has the right to tell us right from wrong and if he is good, then his laws, his nature, what he commands us is actually good. It's for our blessing. A loving father issues all kinds of commands for the good and blessing of his kids. Amen? If you are a Jesus follower, you should care very, very much that God is compassionate. If he were not, you would not be a child of God right now. Let's take a look at Psalm 103 one more time, this middle section. He, God, revealed his character to Moses. So this is talking about Moses come up the mountain. I'm making special provision. I'm gonna be on top of the mountain. You're gonna, I'm gonna give you the law and you're gonna take it down to the people of Israel. Don't let anybody, not even animals, stray onto the mountain for they'll have to be put to death. So the holiness of God is coming into the presence of an unholy people. He's creating an exception, allowing Moses to come into his presence without dying. That's a big thing. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. It means slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. Does he have the right to? Those are my Bible Bible students. Is there somebody in the Bible who is named the accuser? Satan, not God, okay? Okay. So the one who has the right to accuse us of evil doesn't. He tells us when we've done wrong, but he offers us mercy. Nor remain angry forever. So there is anger from God. Anybody ever been angry at your child, but you still loved your child even though you were angry? Hands up, please. Talk to me. Nieces, nephews, grandchild. My anger at you doesn't mean I don't love you. Right? 
Modern parenting last 25 years, we're really tough. Like every kid's got to have a helmet, seventh place trophy. Okay. <laughs> Call me a liar. Verse 10, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as high, great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far uh, from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Oops. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been there. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Is God's character a pretty good starting reason for why we would want to be marked by compassion? Is that a pretty good starting point? There are lots of parts of God's character and we only chose five things to emphasize. So to be clear, vision statements are not meant to be comprehensive, right? There's some things you want to work on. Let's spend seven to 10 years working on these handful of things to get really good at them, okay? When you uh, show up for football practice the very first day, you're not going to necessarily memorize the playbook if you're a freshman and you've never played football. You're gonna run lots of laps. You're gonna do some I hate you bobs. You're gonna do some jumping jacks, right? Basic conditioning is first, and then you're gonna learn how to run and take care of the ball, right? There are all kinds of basics that a coach knows where you're at and says, this is what we're gonna do. Your elders, filled with prayer, hopefully filled with wisdom, we put forward five things to you for consideration, not because these five things are the totality of our life as a church, but we think they'd be five things that are really good to invest in for a while and see what the Lord would do. That makes sense. The Lord is compassionate. That's one reason why the hub of compassion. Secondly, because compassion displays the heart of God to a rebellious world. Does this sound a little bit like last week's sermon? If you were here, say yes. Okay. Compassion displays the heart of God to a rebellious world. There was a pretty emotionally intense scene in the very first Captain America movie. Some of you might remember if you saw Tommy Lee Jones was a, uh, I think a lieutenant colonel or something in the army. And they were looking for a selfless, courageous soldier to do an experiment, to put some chemicals into him to make him this superhuman, super strong thing. And Tommy Lee Jones knew that he didn't need the guy who was currently looked like the best soldier on the outside. If you've read the Bible, you've heard this before. The Lord does not look on the outside, God said to Samuel. And so Tommy Lee Jones decided very quickly in a moment's notice that he could figure out the character out of a group of 40 soldiers that were there doing some calisthenics. He grabs a dummy grenade, pulls the pin, and rolls it amongst the group of men and says, live grenade, live grenade, live grenade. 39 men run, and one of them falls on the grenade. Was he, was he trying to show off for his commander? 
there are things that reveal what's inside. Where all deceit and all pretense go away, they are there to reveal. Compassion, brothers and sisters, done rightly, compassion reveals the real Jesus, not what our world thinks they know about Jesus. Want to see the, the real Jesus? Just let's have some Christians fall on some proverbial live grenades. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why are you putting other people ahead of yourself? That, that makes no sense. This doesn't fit my worldview. This doesn't fit with what I was taught in school or what I grew up with. Why do you run toward danger instead of away from it? Jesus' words to Christians, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see that? Mercy, compassion, every spirit-born behavior in the Christian life is meant to be put up like a lamppost so that everyone sees the light and is blessed by it. Why the hub of compassion? Because God is compassionate. Why the hub of compassion? Because compassionate uh, displays the heart of God to a rebellious world. Why else? Because God blesses compassionate behavior. Did you know that? There are more than one place I could have gone to, but I didn't want to belabor this point. But we all need to know he blesses compassionate behavior. Look at this. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. More word-for-word translations say give to the poor. What's the difference between giving and lending? Are those the same? No, they are not. So since they're not the same thing, what does that mean? You give money to someone who cannot give it back. They cannot repay it. You are lending, totally different category, to God. This is amazing if we stop long enough to think about it. If you lend to somebody, they owe you. I hope, if you've been around church for a while, I hope that that gives you the EBGBs just a tiny bit. We get in a lot of trouble when we think God owes us something, right? But God does not lie. And so if he says that he owes us something, he does. Anything going on in our relationship between us and God, if he says it, it's true. He's the only one in the relationship that doesn't lie. It's not self-deceived. He will repay you. Whoa. God cares so much about image bearers, men and women made in the image of God, men, women, and children, who for whatever reason have no resources, or have few resources. 
He says, if you give to them, you've created an immediate debt and it's not them who owes you. Is that crazy? He will repay you. And last little tidbit before we move on. If you take that last sentence to believe that God is gonna give you money because you blessed somebody else with money, you are ignoring the Bible. And you don't trust your father. Because if you think money is the height of blessing that can come from an infinite God, you've got your face down in your navel. Your destiny is a city where gold is so worthless they use it for concrete. Ever thought of that one? You're out scrolling through and see CNBC. Oh, gold went to 1500 Would you spend $1,500 for an ounce of pavement? This tells you that God is rich. Because he can pave streets in a city so big it holds billions and billions and billions of people. There's nothing about this or the rest of the Bible that says that when God repays, he repays with something so small as silver or gold or the U.S. dollar. Brothers and sisters, let's get our eyes up. Something bigger, something better. Why compassion? Because compassion is normal behavior for the children of God. Normal behavior. Um, If you guys have access to that uh, commercial, now's the time. Um, I want to show you guys a Geico commercial about normal behavior. Well, the squirrels are back in the attic. Mom? Your dad won't call an exterminator. Can I call you back? Mom? He says it's personal this time. If you're a mom, you call it the worst time. It's what you do. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to GEICO. It's what you do. Where are you? It's very loud there. Are you taking a Zumba class? If you're a mom, you call at the worst time. It's what you do. Here's what I'd like to get across to us. If you're a Christian, you're compassionate. It's what you do. This is normal. This is not exceptional. This is normal. Or let me say it another way. There are all kinds of things in the Christian life that look exceptional in our world. If you're a Christian, you can do certain behaviors and be surrounded by people who are willing to like, love, share your post, attaboys, pat you on the back. Wow, that's cool. Wow, that was so nice. And that's only true in context. If you are being um, praised by people who do not know or have not accepted the unbelievable compassion of God going to a cross to forgive the sins of rebels, your behavior might look like a really big deal. 
And it is, the differential is how God gets his glory. Our light is shining before men, right? So people who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, they might think that's particularly gracious of you, that's particularly merciful of you, that's particularly compassionate of you. And yet, all of us, our job is to not pull this muscle right here. Okay, this muscle is very important. And if I pull it, trying to pat myself on the back for how awesome I am, I've lost sight of a huge gap between Christ's holiness, my filthiness, and his cross bridging the gap between those two. I'm just trying to take one tiny little piece of God's compassion and pass it along, and I do so, it's quite normal. Jesus said, those whom are forgiven much, love much. It's, it's quite natural. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you've got the hardback that we passed out, eight, page 863. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 25. Luke 10, starting at 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, if the story stops here, are you concerned yet? If you grew up in church, you've been told over and over and over again that you cannot do enough good stuff to get into heaven. But at this point of the story, it sounds like Jesus is disagreeing, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Right, do this and you will live. Is Jesus lying? Or does Jesus just know that we can't actually do it? He would not be on earth living out our righteousness, preparing to go to our cross for us if we could do it on our own. But it's theologically correct. You love God perfectly and you love people perfectly and you get to go to heaven and you don't need anyone to die on the cross for you. Totally, theoretically, theologically accurate. Just not helpful if you know you're a, uh, what's it called, a sinner. Not helpful at all, right? So Wyatt's answer about, hey, we're morally perfect, we'll help you. like, not helpful. You tell me all the commandments and I just see a list of stuff I've already broken. Uh-oh, now what do I do, right? Right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. <laughs> if you need to justify something in your actions, does that mean, yeah, yeah, this guy knows he's not morally perfect. He has something that has to be justified. Wanting to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. I feel like I've heard that word somewhere before. So, wait, who didn't have compassion? Yeah, the pastors and the deacons didn't care. The pastors and the deacons didn't care, but the religious, cultural, ethnic minority that was in constant conflict with the Jews, the one who's supposed to hate him, the one who's supposed to kick him while he's down, He's got a problem because you see something happened in his heart. He felt compassion for the guy. Can you agree that your, your actions are totally changed almost against your will if your heart just feels compassion? You might have been planning to do this or to do nothing, but then you felt compassion. Oh, dag nabbit, now I'm going to have to do something. That compassion comes first. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Do you guys really think that the story of the Good Samaritan was just for that one guy 2,000 years ago? Have Christians still been telling this story for 2,000 years? Have we been reading it? Have we been studying it? Have we been looking in the mirror and asking ourselves some tough questions for 2,000 years? Of course this is for all of us. Why? Compassion is normal Christian behavior. This is supposed to be normal. Why the hub of compassion? Because compassion is linked to evangelism. We're hitting at the why today. I apologize if you guys aren't into theology and philosophy, but without why, the how just doesn't matter. Why the hub of compassion? Because compassion is linked, inextricably linked to evangelism. If you're new to church, that's a big churchy word that means we're gonna tell you how much Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross to wash away your sins and plead with you to embrace his sacrifice to wash away your sins instead of insisting stubbornly, no, I'm gonna do enough good stuff for God. I've got this, I'm good on my own. So how linked are compassion and evangelism? I'm glad you asked. I've got some pictures here to help illustrate. They go together like Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. You know, like Sonny and Cher. Compassion and evangelism go together. Like a bear and his, 
Okay, all right, I guess that, uh, the illustration breaks down at that point. All right, so take a look at this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had, I feel like I've seen that word somewhere before, compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So if you've got a background in church, you've heard that verse a million times already. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, send workers. And we kind of accidentally misuse this verse. Pastor Greg's trying to get the greeters team back together. And so he pulls out this verse, Lord, send workers. Well, what's the actual context of the verse? It's not send Christians to come here and create a nice welcoming environment, although that's great. The context is this. He had compassion on these crowds because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They do not yet know that their Messiah is standing in front of them. They do not have their shepherd yet. They are spiritually lost. And Jesus doesn't respond with condemnation to people wandering spiritually. He responds with compassion. A different gospel's version of this exact same story says, and so he started to teach them. Didn't expect that one, huh? I have compassion on them because they're lost, and he starts to teach them. Why? Because he's, what does he teach? He teaches them the kingdom of God that's only accessible through him. He reveals himself. These don't have a shepherd? Hey, you're luck. I'm here. I'm your shepherd. So this harvest is great. The workers are few. Ask the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Evangelism is rooted in compassion, brothers and sisters. When evangelism is dead in our life, it's because compassion is dead. When the fire of missions flickers and it's almost out, it's because our compassion is flickering and it's almost out. These go together. Some of us have been Christians so long, we don't remember what it felt like when we very first met Jesus. Some of us don't remember some of the tossing and turning we did inside our own hearts trying to figure out reality, wrestling with guilt and condemnation and I'm not sure what to make of the universe. Where does my identity come from? Some of us act like heaven's not real. Sometimes we act like hell's not real. Sometimes we act like it just doesn't really matter what somebody believes, whether they decide to be reconciled to God or not. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. I mean, that's the cultural view of ethics and religion. That's not supported anywhere in this book.
Why would we see God leading us to become the hub of compassion in Citrus Heights? Because compassion's inextricably linked to telling people who their savior is. We used to say it this way when we ran, uh, I was a part of a church that ran a very large food closet ministry down at Arden Arcade years ago. And we had one guy, the rest of the team would not let him put this on any of the paperwork, but he wanted to so bad. I love it when a deacon is like 78 years old because he just doesn't care anymore and he's gonna say it. Um, we had a, a 77, 78 year old deacon is like, hey, I'm not gonna fill your tummy on the way to hell. If hell is real, if it is agonizing to not know your creator in a state that you chose, I didn't want to know him. And if it is indescribable blessing to know your creator and be known by him fully, and we call that heaven, then you'd bet your booty that I'll use a warm sandwich, a hot meal, a shower, like we did the other week, to seek the opportunity to meet your actual need. Even though the culture hates it. I made the mistake last week of preaching on international missions and it stirred in my heart so much, I've, all I've done all week long besides prepping this sermon is listen to more sermons on international missions. And I've listened about brothers who were in a South Pacific island 150 years ago and they were on the island about five minutes before they got killed, their bodies boiled and eaten by cannibals. And 19 years later, their friend comes to that exact same island. Aren't you supposed to learn your lesson when your friend gets eaten? What would possess a man to leave the comforts of Presbyterian Scotland in the 1840s where just to be Scottish is to be Presbyterian? Everyone's a Christian. Yay. Why would you leave that to go to the island where your friend was killed and never even got to share the gospel? He might have been alive for three minutes on that island. What would possess you to go there and to do that? So you had a problem. You see, you're a lot like your savior and compassion moved inside you and it affected your behavior. You had the same compassion that Jesus did. He saw sheep without a shepherd. This shouldn't be. And so yes, we pray in one of the gospels, we pray to the Lord to send to those workers and the Lord's example in another one of those gospels. Start teaching if they're on an island somewhere else, hop on a plane, go teach. Go tell them who their Messiah is. We live in a world that nobody, nobody, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And so brothers and sisters, for this to be one of our vision statements is not just theological, it's missiological. That's a big word that means not just what is true, but how 
can we best bring what is true to this culture in this missional context? I've said it this way before. If you heard of a tribe in Africa where if you went there, painted yourself blue, and hopped on one foot and said something, if you found out that in their culture, to paint yourself blue and hop on one foot while you talk, they always accepted that as to be 100% true because that's how truth was communicated in that tribe. Wouldn't you paint yourself blue and hop on one foot to share the gospel with them? If that's how they receive truth, then that's what you do. Here, I will keep your truth at bay easily until we're friends. And then I have problems. I know you, and I like you, and I respect you. And then I find out you're a Christian. Oh, crud. Why? All my biases are hard to hide behind because I already like you. We're already friends. Serving people, brothers and sisters, probably in every place in the world, but here in the U.S., serving people, especially those who cannot give back, is an incredible way to build bridges for the gospel in the 21st century United States. And if we find out as we journey and work toward compassion that there's some other aspect of God's heart that is 10 times more effective than compassion then we'll emphasize that, okay? If we find something that reaches more people than compassion, fine. But right now, this is the best idea we've got, and there's 2,000 years of church history that says it's a good idea. Oh, I hope I'm not the only one excited. I hope I'm not. What might it look like to become the hub of compassion Citrus Heights. Again, I want to share some vision with you. doesn't mean this is in ink like we're going to do it, but I want to get your dreamer working, okay? High schoolers hear the gospel because ARCF supplied tutors to help them with their studies after school. People hear the gospel because ARCF hosted a finance class and they became friends with a Christian in that class. Family moves to Citrus Heights from Texas. A few years later, they say to themselves, we really should find a church. ARCF's the first one they visit because ARCF regularly provides school supplies to families in need at their child's school. Could you see that happening? Could you envision that? Does that take years and years to build that? No, it doesn't. City leaders and school administrators aren't sure how to solve a particular problem in the community and they say, let's call ARCF. Could you see that? What if? You tell someone you're a part of ARCF and they say, oh, I know that church. They do thus and such for others, not just for themselves. Wouldn't that be cool if that was the first thing you heard from your friend's lips? Oh yeah, I've heard about that church. They serve others. So uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. We're going to spend some time reflecting and responding to what God has said to us. And here's the, the question I want you to ask honestly of your own soul. Don't dodge it. Do not plan your lunch. Don't think about football. There is none this week. Your excuses are gone. 
I want you to get tactical. I know I've been really theological, lots of Bible verses. Those Bible verses are not worth a darn for God's glory unless we do something, amen? And even a cool vision of maybe we become this in two years or do that in five years, even that is only gonna be the sum total of decisions that we make today individually. Lord, show me how to be compassionate. Lord, give me the courage toward individual specific compassionate actions, okay? Every person in this room knows somebody that could use some compassion this week and no one else in the room even knows them. And so it's gonna be up to you. Purposefully, in a way that's maybe not culturally acceptable or at least expected, to be generous, compassionate, merciful on somebody. Like three brand new beds for kids that didn't have a bed, all right? That's something we were able to tackle together as a family. It's a bigger thing, but something smaller, something more manageable. I want you to think and pray about something specific that you can do. And then here's the real tough part between whether church is a game, is this a spectator sport, or, or are we, or are we a, a, an army of love? Actually commit to do it. If you really want accountability, if you really want accountability, you need to pull out your phone and you need to text your disciple group and say, this is what I'm gonna do before we get together this week. You guys ask me about it. Does that up the level of accountability? Say yes. Those of you who meet on Saturday night, you've got all the time in the world. Other groups don't have so much time. So we're gonna spend five minutes brainstorming before the Lord, say, Lord, speak to us. How do you want me to be compassionate this week? What do you want me to do, Lord? We're gonna spend a few moments doing that, then I'm gonna come up and share a couple of things going on in the life of our church.
couple of things I'd like to tell you guys about. It might have been a long time, even if you're a regular, since you've been in room four. Um, it, uh, was it was transitioned from being a nursery into being a food closet. And it's actually a really good space for that. And the Lord and his sovereignty allowed yet another water crisis so that we had to go in there and rip out everything. And I said, hey, while we're at it, is it possible to get something in there other than carpet so that we could put in some good shell hard shelving, sturdy shelving, maybe get a fridge, maybe get a freezer and really take our food closet up a notch and um, ask the elders for some permissions afterward on some related things. But I, I share this with you as an update related to compassion. Um, we do not intend to ever give food to somebody so that they give us food back, right? Or they make a financial donation later on when they're in a better spot. This is about compassion. And uh, as the Lord allows and as COVID starts uh, Lord willing to go away as vaccinations get out there and stuff. Um, I want you to have that ministry on your radar that we can get that back up and going. We've got a, a room now that is better suited. It's not done yet, but it's better suited. And just wanted to let you know about that. Also related to compassion, coming up here in a few weeks, I believe it's February 23, on a Tuesday, right here in this room where you are sitting, we're gonna have another blood drive. Uh, if you participated last time, you only have to wait six weeks before you can give again, so you could give again. If you didn't get to participate the last time, I'd love for you to do so. I want to repeat what I said in December because it's still true. Blood levels in hospitals right now, the levels are very, very dangerously low because of COVID. People are afraid to go out. People who would normally be donate, donating are not donating. This is an extraordinary issue um, and if there was a major need right now lots and lots of people would lose their lives okay if there was an earthquake if there was a flood um, I mean we've even had freak tornadoes in Roseville before but if there was a situation where 50 70 100 or hundreds of people needed blood there simply is not the supply there and so this is a practical way. If you've got a healthy functioning liver, the Lord has given you something. He didn't owe it to you. And you can give a pint here in a few weeks. And then we're going to watch a video here in just a second. For those of you that are not familiar with Financial Peace University, this is a class that we're offering, not just to members of ARCF, but to the public, to help us make better financial decisions in our own money so that we can kind of get control of our life. The Kennedys are hosting this class. Um, Jeremy's cell number is on the posters. I want you to see this video. Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help, and I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. 
whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. And that is, uh, you've got the info here in your bulletin. That is compassionate in two different ways. I need you to understand when a Christian gets in control of his or her money, this unleashes compassion in the lives of others. And somebody who does not yet know Jesus comes in and joins the class to get control of their money, they're gonna hear the gospel in the process, especially if they make friends with you and you love them and you serve them well. I love you guys. Sorry I went long. Pastor Greg got a little bit excited. Have a great week.